Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, hello, dear friends, podcast friends, and welcome to the Indie Football Podcast. Your one-stop shop for football rising above the noise. It was a special Premier League weekend with some special games. And thus, I have some special people alongside me here to discuss. So without further ado, let me say hello to you, Jonathan Liu, Chief Sports Writer of The Independent and a delightful all-round gentleman. All right. Is that it? A little bit more juice from you? I'm saving myself. Save yourself. No, save yourself for the best bits. Also, we have with us Jack Austin, recently voted Wales' fourth most handsome man. Hello, Jack. Good, good morning. Unlucky to or afternoon if you're listening. Gavin Henson, Tom Jones, and uh, another Welsh person I can't think of. Um, uh, Gareth Bale, hunk. Duffy. Duffy. <laughs> <laughs> um, football. Uh, football then. More specifically, top of the table football. The biggest game of the weekend uh, saw Tottenham Hotspur go to Manchester United. Also saw Johnny go up there, uh, trip to Old Trafford to see, well, Tottenham not do much. Uh, a valiant 1-0 defeat. Which leaves Jose, 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 Juicy, Juicy, Jose Mourinho vindicated and United rebounding at the top of the table. Johnny, as I say, you were there. What are your initial thoughts on uh, what was potentially a clash of title challengers? But now, can we view it as that? Yeah, it it was uh, the game where United, I think, quite firmly asserted themselves as the main challengers to City which maybe hadn't looked like being the case in the last couple of weeks because all the momentum seems to be with Tottenham. But again, I think we saw Spurs go to one of these big away games and and not really turn up. I mean, they did have a chance with Deli Alley and, and that, that might have, have shifted the game. But I think that again underlines how little they created in the second half because if we're talking about that one chance, it, it kind of underlines how, how little they created. And, and again, between about 50 and 80 minutes, there was very little from them. And we've seen that time and again. Liverpool away last season, Manchester United away last season, um, Chelsea away last season, the FA Cup semi-final, Chelsea at home this season. Um, they're a very good team, but in these sorts of games, they, they don't seem to hit that same level. And I wonder if that's a psychological barrier as much as a technical one. Well, Pochettino... We praise him a lot on this podcast and with good reason because, uh, let's be honest, he's done a fantastic job with Tottenham. Um, but his record against, you know, especially in away games against the, the big six, uh, inverted commas, is not good. Uh, and this was, was another one there. Let's go back to the start where he's, he's obviously got to replace Harry Kane, which is a big story going into the game. Because with Harry Kane playing, this game is going to be great, I think. Uh, you know, it's got the potential for a really high-powered attack to go up against a, a very solid defensive team who are trying to prove themselves as challengers. He goes with Sun up front. Um, how do they look, do you think, with, with Sun as a central forward? Well, the, the idea, I think, was that they would try and get the ball up early and, and get Son turning Bailly and, and Jones and Smalling and running into the space behind them. The fact is, not only did United not kind of sit as high up as obviously he would want, but Tottenham couldn't move the ball to him quickly enough 
And so he ended up gets, getting the ball with his back to goal, which obviously is not the best way of using him. Uh, he's not the strongest. Uh, he's not the best in the air. And so essentially he was like a, a pound shop Harry Kane. Would they have been better going with Llorente, do you think? I think so. I mean, in hindsight, is is a wonderful thing. I, I kind of I liked the idea of Son and Deli Ali as kind of a, a floating front two. But as it turned out, Deli Ali dropped back quite a bit to receive the ball. And so Son was essentially up front on his own. Had it been a slightly more mobile, fluid front two, then that might have worked better. Lorente, Lorente came on and, and, and kind of he certainly won the physical battles a lot, a lot better than Son was doing. But um, I, I, I'm not sure still that Pochettino quite trusts Lorente to start in a big game. Jack Deli Ali had the the one big chance, um, but there was also a notable sort of a tactic, I guess, from United to try and provoke him. You know, we, we've seen this before. It's not you know the newest thing in the world. People used to do it to Wayne Rooney when he was younger because they knew that he would fly off the handle. Um, what do you make of Ali's game? You know, as an attacking threat without Harry Kane, but also in terms of you know, the, the way that he was clearly riled by, by some of the treatment he was getting from United. I think with Ali um, is that, yeah, he's obviously got a short fuse and that's something that's really easy to go after, like you said, with Rooney when he was younger. Um, but I think it's unfair to judge him just on this one game. I think this whole season he's not been the Deli Ali of last season. And I, would, I wouldn't say that's because Kane was absent because Kane's been there the rest of the season and Ali really hasn't shown the sort of form that he had last season. Um, whether that's just... A delayed on like um, teams are starting to work him out. Um, I'm not sure, but there is something missing there that wasn't missing last season. What do you think will be the reaction when Deli Ali gets sent off for uh, palming someone in the face in England's round of 16 defeat in the World Cup this summer? Uh, yeah, against Argentina, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's going to be against. I, I actually was thinking someone worse, maybe like a Switzerland. Um, I just feel like you know it, it's going to be an innocuous incident around the 56th minute. Uh, on the touchline, probably, and he just pushes someone in the face. I the think the vacuum referee just takes it all the way and goes with a red card. I think, first of all, applaud England for getting out of the group stages. But um, yeah, I, I think he could easily be someone who could be vilified because he's got that temperament to just fly off the handle. And Pochettino's spoken plenty of times about him having to control that. And I think, to be fair, I think he has. I mean, he's not he's not going around palming people in the face. I mean. <laughs> I mean, so far, and he is being targeted. So he is keeping his cool relatively well for the treatment he receives. Johnny, I'm, go I'm, I'm actually really quite surprised how little credit Deli Ali gets from Spurs fans. About how uh, good he is. About how good he is, yeah. And he gets wider acclaim, certainly. But the fact is, this is a guy who's what, 21, 22 years old. Uh, he's an English creative midfielder. And he's got, he's got incredible talent, and it's interesting to to hear Spurs fans talking about him almost as if he's not expendable, but the fact that they 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 don't quite love him in the way they do Christian Eriksen, for example, or certainly Harry Kane. And I wonder whether part of that is due to his character, his personality. He's a slightly, I guess, he's a slightly awkward character. There's something slightly mercurial to him. And yeah. for some, sometimes it's down to consistency. Ericsson's just a—he's a consistent seven or eight out of ten player, whereas Ali goes up and down. Only for the last year or so. I mean, for the most of his first two or three years at Tottenham, Ericsson would disappear for entire months. Over over the course of their Tottenham careers, I would say Ali has been more consistent. To bring in something which is. Uh, 
another big event of the weekend. England won the Under-17 World Cup, which is which is a, a huge thing for English youth football, bearing in mind the success they've had in uh, you know all the other age group tournaments this year. Maybe Dan Ashworth deserves a knighthood um, <laughs> or not. <laughs> but <laughs> players like Foden, um, players like Rianne Brewster, uh, these guys who have shown what they can do at youth level, and I, I appreciate that doesn't necessarily translate. If you look through the guys who have won the Golden Boy and the Golden Ball at this competition, it is very hit and miss. You've got uh, some world stars in there, but you've also got Florian Cinema Pongal. And, I think uh, Sash Fabregas is the only name on that list who actually did big things. Yeah, yeah, and so we, we can't get carried away, but at the same time, Deli Ali is a young guy who is get, who's getting chances in, a, in an elite team. Is it fair to call Tottenham an elite team? Just about, yeah. Yeah, you know, they're in the Champions League. Um, they're kind of challenging roughly for the title, or at least the top three every single season. I do worry that players like Phil... F I mean, if you look at the players that are ahead of Foden, for example, in the hierarchy at City, there's probably seven or eight in incredibly talented players. So these guys are going to have to leave the club or, or whatever. Deli Ali is the rare example of a young player who is getting opportunities to play every week. He's going to be inconsistent. Um, but there is sort of a, a groundswell of opinion that if you if you praise English players that are young, then you're building them up too much. And if you criticise them when they do bad things, then it's, uh, well, the, the classic thing is the, uh, you're building them up to knock them down. That sort of, the, the criticism of the criticism in itself. Whereas Ali really has been exceptional for his age. And considering he took the step up from League One, do you not think, Jack, that, there's something with Pochettino. He's given so many young English players a chance. Um, what we're going to need to see with this next generation of World Cup winners is other managers willing to do the same. Yeah, I think there's a reason why Tottenham now dominate the England squad. If you look at their players, they've got a young English core, which should take England through the next two to three major tournaments. Um, whether we'll see that in any other of the big six, I'm not sure because of the vast amount of money they've got to spend. I think Tottenham's uh, tight purse strings is actually one of their strengths because it allows them to bring through so many young players and give them a chance to grow. And they perform as well. And they do perform, yeah. Uh, obviously, Pochettino is brilliant with it, even at Southampton. You look at the players that he had. Obviously, Southampton have got a fantastic academy. But the players that he brought through successfully, look at the way they are now at Liverpool and Manchester United. I mean... There was a little bit of spice pre-match where Luke Shaw's comments about Pochettino kind of eulogising him came out in, in the book written by, a ghost written by Guillaume Balaguer. Um, Mourinho actually took a pop at him and said, you know, maybe it's just the ghostwriter trying to make money. But the fact is that this is how some of these players feel about Pochettino. They feel like he is an exceptional coach who's brought them through. And if you start looking at the players who he has brought through, you know, it's building a case that he is one of the finest coaches in Europe. Yeah, I think you've, you only have to look at the, you know, the class of 92, for example, and the way they feel about, um, uh, like, the strikes Ferguson and um, the youth team manager, um, Harrison. Eric Harrison. Uh, Eric Harrison. Um, they eulogise about him, um, and they see him as, like, second fathers. So it's only natural for Shaw, who's Pochettino brought through, to think the same about him. It wouldn't be a bad move for him if he does end up leaving Man United. Man United, the team we've kind of ignored so far, Johnny. Um, you wrote something about Henrik Mkhitaryan. Uh, straight from the game. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Explain uh, roughly for people who haven't read it yet, and it is still available at independent.co.uk slash football, um, what you wrote about Mkhitaryan and, and what it means really for, for Manchester United as a team. Well, the idea essentially is that Mkhitaryan was bought from Borussia Dortmund after an incredible 15-16 season uh, and he has shown flashes, glimpses of being a really quite dynamic player with perhaps uh, a slightly tender temperament who, which needs a little bit of nurturing. Uh, and really this piece is questioning why, no sorry, whether uh, Mourinho is really the right kind of manager to bring that out of him. And if you look at how Mkhitaryan played against Spurs, uh, he was taken off after about an hour, replaced with Lingard. And for that game, one of United's most creative players, certainly in the absence of Pogba, uh, the, the player most likely to fashion you a chance, was essentially marking Harry Winks. He was, he was employed in, a, in essentially a, a destructive role. And it, it, there was, you know, there's, there's a joke to be made there about how essentially everybody turned into a defender on, under Mourinho, you know, how eventually... It, but it's true, you know, Miguel um, did a report last week that uh, after Manchester United's defeat, you know, he, he lashed out at certain players who he felt hadn't defended well enough, attacking players, basically, who hadn't defended well enough. And this is why he wanted even Perisic in the summer. Um, he, want, he wanted a wide player who was going to work hard defensively, but has the attacking talent so that basically... Because what uh, you get the impression that what he's focused on with Mkhitaryan is if you can get him to play defensively to a, a, a decent level, then when he has the ball, he'll take care of the a- attacking stuff, which kind of ties in with what we've discussed on here many times is that Mourinho in training doesn't coach much attacking play. He expects the players to just work that bit out themselves because they're good attackers. But how weird, how sustainable is it to keep buying good attacking players, asking them to play a defensive role and hoping that they are simply going to produce? Well, why does he want Mesut Ozil in January? That that famous defensive workhorse. It's, it's I mean, nonsensical. Apart from the, Ozil, probably played the best football of his career under Mourinho at Real Madrid, albeit with a far better supporting cast. You'd say. Yeah, and dominance of possession. If if you're if you've got sixty five seventy percent possession every week, you can have Mesut Ozil uh, sitting in in the hole, creating things and not having to worry too much about getting hit on the counter because you, you don't have a huge amount of defending to do. The system that he seems to want to employ at at United, especially in big games, is kind of a a reactive shell in which Mkhitaryan, and fair play to him, you know, he's not, he didn't do his job badly at all. He's got the energy and he's got the legs to to be able to to do that role. But it really raises kind of a fundamental question that that could, could define Mourinho's career all the way through. Do you, do you create your system and then fit the players into it? Or do you create a system that is going to get the best out of the players you have? And I think that that's essentially the philosophical question that, that plagued Mourinho throughout his whole career. The interesting thing for me that I'll just drop in now is, have you ever seen in the Premier League in, in recent years, I can't remember where there are teams, especially the top teams, who have multiple systems that they can use regularly and, and switch. And I, I think 
now that there's been a kind of not a fad necessarily for three at the back, but these things are all cyclical because every formation change is, is almost as a reaction to something that's come before it. So you, you if four two three one is the prevalent formation, then someone eventually is going to switch to a three at the back that tries to exploit um, the weaknesses of that shape, and then someone else will switch to something else, and someone else will switch to something else. But have we been in, in a time before like this where there are teams that are comfortable playing two or three different shapes? I can't remember one. No, no. I mean, you could say that this Spurs side is actually one of the the, the most versatile most versatile teams in the Premier League in, in, in the fact that they can play without a striker, they can play with one. You could even imagine them playing with two. They can play with three at the back, they can play with Dyer in defence or in midfield and they can, they've can. they got maybe seven or eight different midfield combinations that they could go for. But again, it, it is a rarity and at the top teams, when you are playing twice a week, you don't really have that time to drill, to drill them. Um, it's really, I mean, it's almost like an international team where you, you have a few days and you get your recovery in, you get a day of recovery, you work for a couple of days on, on basics and shapes and, and set pieces, but to to coach the, the kind of the fundamental back to basics, we're going back to the drawing board and you're, you're going to learn exactly where you're going to stand. I don't think a lot of clubs have the time for that these days. It's an, it's an interesting uh, thing. I just thought it, was, it came into my mind just watching both those teams being able to fluidly switch. Um, Manchester United, we think... Well, you, 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 do you think Spurs are out of the title challenge now, Johnny? Well, they're eight, eight points behind City. Um, so I don't think they're out of it. But It seems impossible to it's getting on a team that good. It's getting pretty stretched out. And City as well. Uh, winners at West Brom uh, on Saturday, Jack. So they're looking good. I think there's an argument that this is the first world-class side we've had in the Premier League for, for quite a few years now. Yeah, probably since uh, 2008, 2007, that Manchester United team, I think. Um, you think that good since the Rooney, Ronaldo, Tevez United? I, don't, I, th- I think that that's probably the last world-class team. I know that you know Chelsea have won a Champions yeah, League yeah, since yeah. then, but I don't think that Chelsea team was as good as this City one or that United one. Um, but the way they just just bringing players off the bench, and even Sterling, for example, just comes off the bench, scores... And they've just got that extra gear. They've always got that one extra thing that they can just blow you away with. Um, it'll be interesting to see, obviously Guardiola spoke before the match of when they aren't playing well, whether they can still win. And that'll be interesting to see because that's where the wheel sort of came off last season. Uh, I think that's when we'll really find out how good they actually are. Well, something we've talked about quite a lot on this podcast is that 2008 switch when Guardiola came in and, and attacking football started to dominate again in Europe. And what we're seeing is basically Guardiola's weakness at City is is in defence. They're probably a centre-back short. They're definitely a left-back short with Mendy's injury. So you're looking at that team and you're saying, right, OK, they have to attack to cover up for their weakness. Whereas Manchester United probably, I mean, where would you say looking at personnel is their weakness? Because their only way to get out of it is to defend. They're going to defend through whatever weakness they have. Um and I guess it's okay if you can throw an Anthony Martial and he's going to score a winning goal because he is a talented player who, who's there. And Eric Dyer unfortunately, made that mistake. But do we think that United are going to be able to sustain a proper title challenge throughout the year? They just appear to be a more flawed team than City for me. Well, we've seen without, without Pogba in, in these last few weeks that they can occasionally look a, a little bit hollow. And what, what happened a lot last season in all these 
these draws, these interminable home draws they were having at, at Old Trafford, is that they they struggled to dominate the game in, in the right places. It's it was fine getting possession it and uh, you know in, in unthreatening places in their own half, but actually dominating the areas where you create chances was was a real problem for them. And at the start of this season, when when Pogba was firing, when Mkhitaryan was firing, uh, they they did seem to have solved that problem. But in recent weeks, Mkhitaryan's gone backwards, Pogba's been injured, and yes, they won against Spurs, but they 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 are again struggling to dominate those areas where you where you create you know your 15, 20 chances a game. I would say as well that take De Bruyne out of City for the last six weeks, would they be playing as well as they had been in the first few weeks of the season? Because no, I, I guess you could say City have had it injuries in in areas that they're quite they shallow. Afford to have they're, they're quite shallow um, in terms of left back yeah. um, in particular. If they lost De Bruyne, they do have several players that could step in, I guess. Obviously, I don't think anyone can expect to play up to the same level as arguably the best player in the league so far this season. But they do have players like Bernardo and, and Sané and, and Sterling who are barely, you know, a lot of the time one of those players at least or two of them are going to have to be on the bench. Whereas if they're starting every week, you're still in quite good shape. And David Silva, who is still possibly the second best creative midfielder in Phenomenal. the league. I mean... When he shaved his head, I lost a little bit of uh, my pangs for him. But it was good. elsewhere in the Premier League, it was a fairly straightforward Saturday. It's why we're probably not going to talk about them much. Uh, just Arsenal winning 2-1, Liverpool uh, beating Huddersfield, Man City beating West Brom, Chelsea beating Bournemouth. It was kind of as expected. Palace getting a last-minute equaliser against West Ham, probably the most depressing game of the weekend. We can talk about Palace a bit if you want, Ed. No, no. I mean, <laughs> what's the, I mean what's the point? They were the, by far the best team and uh, end up getting a 90-plus-7 equaliser. Uh, two sad, two sad situations. Um, I actually thought we'd talk because Real Madrid are playing Tottenham this week. Uh, Tottenham eight points off, and you know who else is eight points off? Real Madrid eight points off Barcelona at the top of La Liga. Um, considering the summer and Barcelona just sold Neymar, institutional crisis. Um, Robert Fernandez, the sporting director, was on the brink. There are loads of guys, uh, senior in that club, who are going to leave. Uh, Raúl Sanlehi, who has been linked actually with um, Dick Law's job at Arsenal. And he leaves on December the 1st. Barcelona literally, not literally falling apart because that's the wrong use of literally, but Barcelona was a club that was disintegrating. And they are four points clear of Valencia in second. Valencia is a great story as well. But Real Madrid back in eighth. Zinedine Zidane has had such a great life, basically. Um, You know, he, he was an incredible player. He got parachuted into a pretty easy situation at Real Madrid with one of the best squads ever assembled. He's won the Champions League twice in his first 18 months as a coach. He's now eight points off, and this is his first real test. Um, do we think, Jack, that he's actually going to have something within him to turn this around? Um, I think that for Real Madrid, I, I always think that no matter how good you were the season before, you need to freshen up the squad in the summer to keep people on their toes, and he didn't do that this summer. They had uh, some internal freshness, I guess, if you think Asensio stepping up. But, you know, you want you want that new player, you want that 50, 60 million pound player to come in to Severin to go, oh, right, I need to step my game up here. Not this 18-year-old who's come through all 20 yeah, yeah, um, you know what I mean. Um, and I think that was probably what has left them a bit stale. Obviously, they missed Ronaldo for the first five games. Um, but, yeah, this is obviously where he's going to really prove his managerial stock. If he can claw back against Barcelona, which, I mean... I don't know how he's going to be able to do that. It's going to have to start with um, victories and classicos, but 
And what a classical that's going to be, by the way. The vote in Catalonia is on the 21st of December. On the 23rd of December, Barcelona play Real Madrid. Uh, and it's going to be certainly charged, that game. Johnny, what do you make of Zidane so far? Uh, well, you can't argue with his record. Uh, <laughs> and, and I would, again, caveat what I'm about to say with, you know, the prediction that I think the title race will get closer. And I certainly wouldn't rule out Real going and, and winning the Champions League again. What, what would it be like? The, the Trey Decima? The Quatorzi Decima? I don't know. What, what, what oh, do we call God. it? Um, I just remember how many they won. Was this year was the Duo Decima? I yeah, think? it's 12. So, yeah, I can't even remember what the word for 13th would be. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah. They've, they've been outstanding. Mm. Um, the one thing I remember when I was uh, living in Madrid and I was covering them before the Champions League final in Milan against Atletico, um, they did a, uh, an open day, a media open day, where we could go and speak to all the players and everything and, and ask them all the questions. And obviously the big, the big piece I wanted to write was, what on earth has Zidane brought to this team different to Rafa? Because um, he took over on January the 3rd and then obviously took them to, to the Champions League final. Even though they were, you know, they were so close to going out to Wolfsburg in the quarterfinals, and then they kind of jammed their way through, and talked to every single player virtually in the squad, and not one of them could give you anything tangible that Zidane had brought to the team. The, the word that most came up was essentially the word for empathy. Uh, he basically he, he understands us better than Rafa did. He didn't bring anything tactical. He didn't bring anything strategic. Really, it was he's nice. He gets us better than Rafa. And one of the big um, criticisms ahead of Rafa was that he essentially a lot of the big players thought he didn't have a good playing career. So they jokingly nicknamed him LDS, the 10, you know, as in like he's like the playmaker of, of the team, whereas actually uh, he never had a good career. He was like, a, wasn't he a goalkeeper or something? A third, a third division goalkeeper or something. And he was trying to tell Ronaldo in one training session how to hit a free kick. And Ronaldo obviously didn't take this very well. So I've always had a slight suspicion that that Zidane was kind of basically riding on a very good squad and making them feel happy and making them feel confident, which isn't a bad thing in itself. But now, now that they're in a bad moment, as they say in Spain, I can't remember um, a time like this under his stewardship. How on earth does a, a coach who's basically traded on on personal relationships? How do they turn around a team like this? Well. I think we're finding that Zidane has been—he's been incredibly good at letting things tick over, and as you said, he's not got a—he's not got a huge amount of tactical knowledge. He's not got a huge amount of um, dynamism, you, you might say. And and it, these days, football moves forward so quickly that you need to keep making strides. And now, having somebody in place who will, who will let things tick over. Uh, is fine for a season or two, for 18 months. You know, you, you can be very successful, but players essentially can't run a, a, a club of Real Madrid size for a, for a sustained period of time. You need uh, that, that horrible... You need a project. And, and Barcelona now, having been knocked off the pedestal, have, having something to prove, having a kind of a hunger to 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 get to get back to where they, they feel they should be, that's clearly what's driving them this season, as well as the best player in the world. Sorry, uh, and well, he is the best player of the world. Well, yeah. Do Real have that same kind of? I don't, I don't want to say hunger because obviously professional footballers of that class all have all have a certain hunger. But do they have a, a greater idea? Is there is there something that's bonding them beyond this 
simple impulse to win football matches. What's the what's the idea behind behind Madrid at the moment? I like I like that Florentino Perez changed their idea from the traditional Galactico thing of buying someone in their peak for absolute peak value to trying to get the best young players in the world. And last summer, their two biggest targets were Gianluigi Donnarumma when he became available from Milan, which obviously in the end was a contract ploy from Raiola, and Kylian Mbappe, who ended up going to the nouveau riche uh, of Paris Saint-Germain. Now, interesting in one aspect because it's Real Madrid getting beaten to a player, which very, very rarely happens. Mbappe would have brought a fresh impetus of, of you know, you can imagine the nauseating Instagram posts of Ronaldo and Mbappe and, and you know, that kind of the idea of this passing of, of the, the air to Ronaldo, if you will, is a guy who's going to start out wide, probably be a centre forward at the end of the day. Going forward with Mbappe and Asensio as part of a front three is going to be ludicrous, frankly. Um, missing out on that meant that, as Jack said, they, they didn't have that fresh blood, I think. Um, the fresh talent really is what it is. A bit of competition, a bit of spark in, in the squad. But Barcelona are going to buy in, in January and they're probably going to buy big next summer as well because they need to reboot the project a bit still. They've got the early season results, which I think was surprising given everything that's happening. But even without Neymar, you know, Messi is still Messi and they've got enough guys there who are talented. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how, how they cope. I think Valencia's uh, resurgence is also an interesting team uh, because Marcelino is a great coach. He saw that at Villarreal. And he's got enough talent there that has been underperforming for years and so now he's got the chance to make them happen. But Jack, a quick preview of, of Real Madrid Tottenham from you. What are you expecting? Is that the Bernabeu? So, you know, uh, sorry, no, it's not. It's at Wembley. They got the draw at the Bernabeu. I think this is the game that I was most looking forward to in the whole of the Champions League group stage draw uh, at Wembley. Um, it's it's going to be it's going to be a very close game. I it could go either way. It depends uh, if a if Harry, if Harry Kane's fit. Um, that's huge. Boost, huge. Um, if he's not, then Tottenham could really struggle. Um, but seeing the likes of Ronaldo, um, maybe even Bale uh, against his old team, it'll just be. Um, be brilliant. I think uh, I think Real Madrid should win it. They've got something to prove. Deli Ali's back now, right? Deli Ali's back. That yeah. band's gone. Love to see how Deli Ali plays against uh, Real Madrid, and we'll see that all on Wednesday night. Obviously, you can follow that on independent.co.uk slash uh, football, along with all the other Champions League stuff and uh, next week's Premier League. So, uh, without further ado, I will wrap things up. Jonathan, thank you for coming in. Thank, thank you, you for your succinct analysis from Old Trafford. Uh, Jack, thank you for coming over from Wales. Um, always a pleasure. Never always a pleasure. Never a chore. Thank you, uh, Matt Murphy, for producing today, uh, taking his time to listen to us talking pre-match about Westlife. Uh, thank you to Acast, our, our friends, the podcast providers. Thank you to Apple. Thank you, Mum. Uh, thank you, God, and uh, thank you all for listening. Goodbye.